Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, I'll review what's been going on with the 737 MAX in the past week, while Tom will tell us about the closure of my favourite airport terminal. Joe will take a look at IATA's grim forecast for 2021, while I recap the last week of health passport news. Finally, I'll take a look at how a former Southwest 737 could be yours for just half a million dollars. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I wanted to hear what's happening with the Max, Joe. Yeah, of course, the Max is big news right now. And uh, we've seen lots of ungroundings in the past week, which is good news for Boeing. So at the start of last week, the UAE lifted its ban, um, which will be super news for Fly Dubai. Um, they've got a mm. massive order in for 251 of the type um, and already 14 in their fleet. So uh, they'll be pleased to be able to start using those planes again. And obviously, following the European ungrounding the week before, we saw TUI operating the first flights with the plane. Um, so they flew from Brussels to Malaga last week. And mm. uh, interestingly, the plane was registered OO Max, <laughs> which I thought yeah, was rather it was nice. Yeah, first Max, I think. Yeah, so that was uh, quite a poignant first flight in Europe, I think. And uh, mm. Smart Wings followed along. So this is a Czechoslovakian airline, and it flew from Prague to Malaga as well. So it seems everybody's going to Malaga with the Max. And uh, we think probably the next one to resume flights in Europe will be Iceland Air. Um, mm. They brought their Max out of hibernation in Spain earlier in the month. So, so far we know at least two are back in Reykjavik. Um, it does have six Max in total, five are the eights and one is the nine. Um, and it has said that it will allow customers to change flights if they don't want the Max experience. But mm. I think probably people are starting to feel a little bit better about this aircraft now. It's done quite a lot of flying since uh, since the FAA's first ungrounding. Well, I mean, when I was chatting um, with American Airlines about it briefly, I mean, chatting, I asked them for a comment. <laughs> but they said that they'd seen no difference in bookings between the 737 MAX and, say, the A320. So it looks well, that's, that's like passengers positive. mostly are happy to give it a go. And I mean, like, when as soon as Ryanair bring it to Frankfurt, I've been jumping on board. I'll be here, pleased to hear what it's like, Tom. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think in general it's kind of a case of if the flight's right and the price is right and it's going where I want to go, I don't really care what I'm flying on for most people. So uh, Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like, it's been through all these tests and if you look at just how many flights it's operated since it's been back in service, I, I don't think a single one of them has had an issue yet. So No, I, other than, I actually... Well, there was the WestJet one, which was an unrelated issue on taxi where it didn't take off but yeah that wasn't anything to do with mm. the MCAS and uh, I wrote an interesting piece the other day actually on the FAA is tracking every single max flight around the world mm. um, using satellite data so they're getting daily reports from um, Iridium's next constellation about the uh, any anomalies or any unusual flight paths or anything like that so they want to kind of preempt anything that could end up mm. being a media storm but uh, anyway 
Anyway, back to ungrounding news. Um, on Friday, Australia joined Europe and others in declaring the Max safe to return to service. So that's not massive because there aren't any Australian airlines with the type. Um, but they did occasionally see Silcare and Fiji Airways flying in with the aircraft. And obviously, Silcare has now been reabsorbed into Singapore Airlines. And yeah. um, their 737s are looking very cute in Singapore Airlines livery, I have to say. So they could be looking to resume operations to Australia. But of course, they need their own authority to clear it to fly, which hasn't happened yet. Mm. Um, Virgin Australia did once have an order for 45 of the type. It was 25 10s and 23 of the Max 8s. Um, but since its collapse and restructuring, that order shrunk considerably. But it does still have 25 Max 10 on order, um, although they won't start delivering until mid-2023. Um, also possibly good news for Qantas because they were weighing up the max against the A320neo for narrowbody fleet renewal. But again, that's quite a long way away. So not really impacted immediately by the ungrounding in Australia, but it's a significant aviation authority. So another vote of confidence in Boeing's mm. favour, I think. Um, and then just this week, Saudi Arabia approved the type. Um, again, they don't have any homegrown operators. The The airline called Flyer Deal, which I always have to laugh at the name slightly. <laughs> they did have an order in, but they cancelled in the early stages of the grounding in favour of the Airbus Neo instead. Mm. Um, but it'll be good for Fly Dubai to be able to use Saudi airspace now that they've cleared it to uh, fly overhead. Um, and of course, with ungroundings comes deliveries. And TUI actually not only made the first MAX flight in Europe, but they took the first European MAX delivery as well over the weekend. Um, and I thought it was really cool because the MAX 8 flew direct from Boeing Field to London Gatwick, non hmm. nonstop with no extra fuel tanks on board. And, you know, I think that just really showcases the immense range of these narrow body planes. That's a huge flight for a, a little plane to do nonstop. Well, um, I mean, as we were chatting about a couple of weeks ago, um, the Can Canadian Airlines are planning to do their transatlantic hops if they ever go ahead. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. I think it's a, a real game changer. And I think, mm. you know, once people get their confidence back, I think they'll love it. Um, and then yesterday, which would be Monday, um, podcast listeners, we had a, a new order for the Max, which is oh, really yeah. cool. Um, United dropped in its financial results that it would be ordering another 25 of the type. Um, and all of the 25 will be delivered in 2023. So it's really pushing on those delivery schedules as well. Mm. Um, and that will bring its total to 210 Max jets in its fleet. And at least 100 of those will be the biggest Max 10. So really sort of trying to fill that... Um, NMA niche, you know, the mid-sized aircraft niche um, mm. that it will be lacking by the loss of the uh, 757 and 767. Um, and actually, United's been really busy taking deliveries. It already took eight MAX 9s before the end of 2020, and it's mm. had another eight in the first two months of this year. So, you know, okay. Boeing's really rolling them out at speed to, yeah. to United. Well, I mean... They're ready to go. They're just sort of they sat are. there gathering dust. So Yeah, they said they were going to deliver, you know, several tens a month. <laughs> I mm. don't remember the exact figure, but they've got a really immense delivery target. And they're, you get they're a clearly max. pushing You get a ahead. max. You get a max. Yeah, have a max. Take one. <laughs> Here it is. Um, mm. So United's already got 30 in its fleet and it's going to have another 21 before the end of this year. So that'll be up to more than 50 max aircraft flying for United Airlines. So happier times for Boeing. And... Uh, happier times for passengers once they get mm. over the initial shock of the, the deadly plane. <laughs> 
Formerly. <laughs> For, formerly deadly plane, <laughs> which is now probably the safest plane in the sky. Hmm. So tell me what's happening with my, uh, as you called it, favourite airport terminal. So, yeah, the first thing I wanted to talk about this week was your favourite airport terminal. And that's right, Berlin-Brandenburg Terminal 5. Blech. <laughs> so the big news this week is that it's been closed down for a year due to uh, the low travel caused by COVID-19. But before I go on, why don't you tell it why tell us why it's your favorite? I just can't stand it. I mean, it may have been influenced by the fact I'd just finished a two-day very, very busy conference and had been attempting to interview multiple airline executives and was feeling very tired and stressed. Um, but I kind of got funneled through a completely empty um it, terminal experience and I wasn't allowed to check in when I wanted to I had to wait until a particular time in a very uncomfortable seat in the cold by some automatic doors that never closed <laughs> in Berlin in winter and then when I did get eventually get into the terminal I was looking forward so much to my lounge experience and uh, I'll just say you know check out my Schoenfeld lounge review on Simple Flying because it was worse than disastrous um, <laughs> the entirety of the hot food offering was some rancid dried out hot dog sausages and a bit of like really stale toast <laughs> and that was my dinner and I was fuming <laughs> Well, I guess you'll be pleased to hear it's closed. So since it Yay. opened, um, Berlin-Brandenburg's Terminal 1 has handled most flights at the city's airport, as we know. However, Terminal 5 sort of remained open for low-cost carriers like Wiz and Ryanair. But with such low traffic figures, Brandenburg Airport just has enough capacity at Terminal 1 to handle all the flights departing and arriving. And I mean, if you do the maths, it doesn't make sense to keep two facilities open when you only need one. So... Um, well, this is why Berlin's closing Terminal 5. And according to the airport's operators, um, closing the facility that was previously your favourite Schoenfeld is expected to save 25 million euros, so $30 million each year Ideal. or in a year. Because um, initially it's going to close for at least a year, but it could remain closed for longer, saying it's at the moment it's closed until further notice, which is at least a year. But I could see it possibly never opening again <laughs> um, because you've got to remember as well that um, Terminal 2 still isn't open like they're using the um, the gates I believe but the actual uh, check-in bit and all of that isn't isn't open yet um, yeah I mean when I was there it did look like EasyJet had almost built its own little sort of personal check-in area that all looked very new and very shiny it was just a bit badly run but uh, hmm. I mean it did look fairly new so maybe that would be reopened i don't know mm. well i mean essentially not much is going to change for passengers as since the closure of tegel almost all the uh, um, traffic for berlin has been going through terminal one anyway the main difference here is that the ultra low cost carriers are shifting over and i mean even easyjet was already using terminal one they were the first um airline to depart from the terminal so yeah um you know, I'm, I'm guessing that Ryanair, because my understanding was that Ryanair didn't move, want to move because they didn't want to pay the price for Terminal 1. But I'm guessing that... Um, well, they'll have to now, won't they? <laughs> well, I'm guessing that maybe there's some sort of deal has been arranged because I was reading a press release from them um, about the move and they said that they were delighted that they'd been, they were moving to Terminal 1. So, <laughs> <laughs> Reading between the lines, we got to move for free. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it's going to be a bit sad. Um, 
not seeing it again, although they're putting it to good use because it's a vaccination centre for Berlin at the moment ah. for the people who are brave enough to take the AstraZeneca vaccine because apparently not many are over here. Oh, shame. Um, but yeah, you know, um, we're not going <laughs> down that rabbit hole. my family's had it and they're still standing. So uh, mm. yeah, a vote of confidence from me. <laughs> mm. I mean, well, it's interesting because it's not the first time Ryanair has been forced to change terminals in Germany because of COVID-19. You know, in Frankfurt, for several time, um, times I've flown now, I've gone from Terminal 1, which is Lufthansa's home. And it's just, um, it's very strange boarding this 737 from a gate designed for Lufthansa's A380s, you know. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Do you get mm. to use a jet bridge and everything? Yes. Well, I mean, wow. even before covid um, you saw quite a few Ryanair flights at Frankfurt using jet bridges. It was crazy. You know, I feel so privileged. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, any Ryanair flyer who gets to avoid the bus gate mm. is uh, very privileged indeed. <laughs> I mean, any Frankfurt flyer that gets to avoid the bus gate is very privileged. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't flown from Frankfurt. I've still got to experience that uh, particular pleasure. Mm. Well, Terminal 1 isn't so bad. It's just Terminal 2. Um, and I don't even think Terminal 3 will be that bad, hopefully. I'll have to come on down when uh, we're unlocked and check it out mm. for myself, Tom. Or just make it a business trip. <laughs> Absolutely. Spotter's trip. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the International Air Transport Association, IATA, um, because they do lots of stats and interesting kind of number crunching to not only look back at how things have been, but to predict how things will be going forward. Um, and they forecast their predictions for 2021 last in December. Um, but given what's happened in the last kind of eight weeks, they've had hmm. to really revise their forecast and uh, this week, they, they kind of released new figures and an outlook, which really says that this year is going to be worse than expected. So joy, happy times. Um, back in December, they did say that it was going to be a challenging first half to the year, but fully expected what they called at the time a vaccine bump in, in the second half. Mm. Um, and they even predicted that some airlines would turn cash positive before the end of the year. However, with all the new variants and borders slamming shut across Europe and other parts of the world, um, they've been forced to revise this outlook. And in terms of forward bookings, things have definitely deteriorated since December. I think, you know, people are very wary about booking future trips and knowing mm. that they'll go ahead. Um, and an Easter break is looking highly unlikely for most of us. Um, certainly here in the UK, we're being discouraged from going anywhere until late in April, early May. Um, so now they're saying the end of year situation is predicted to be somewhere between 33% and 38% of 2019 levels in terms of airline capacity. And that's in contrast to its previous prediction that they said they thought we would be back to uh, as much as 51% of 2019 levels by December. Um, and as a result of this, they don't expect airlines to turn cash positive this year at all uh, which is wow. really yeah a bit sad and uh, uh, quite a, a damning outlook by the association so mm. in back in December they predicted that there would be a cash burn for the industry overall in the region of $48 billion through 2021, which, of course, is still massive, but a lot hmm. less than the $118 billion that's expected to be reported for 2020. However, now with this new forecast, it says that it's more likely to be in the region of 75 to $95 billion in a worst-case scenario this year. Oh, wow. 
So the call from IATA is clear. Governments need to be ready to put their hands in their pockets again. Um, and Alexandra de Juniac is very clear that this needs to be in a form that is not debt because the industry is already so heavily debt burdened right now with various loans and um, you know capital raising activities. They need mm. some bailouts and I don't think they're going to get them, certainly not in terms of free money, but we can hope. <laughs> um, but the small positive in this whole outlook was that overall, the recovery timeline hasn't moved. So IATA still believes that all the pent-up travel demand and the vaccine rollout will still see recovery by 2023, uh, albeit with a slower start than expected. So it's not all grim, um, but there's still tough times ahead. Mm. Well, I mean, every time that we have seen like little bumps of recovery, um, people have been quick to come back. So I think, you know... They have, yeah. Yeah, they have. I think, you know, we we got the news last week that the UK was being mm. semi-unlocked on the 17th of May, yeah. uh, which is when we'll be allowed to travel for leisure again. And Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> if it goes ahead. And, you know, all the airlines reported a surge in bookings. And mm. I think that is going to be typical of this. Every time there's a chink of hope that we might be able to travel, people mm. want to go. You know, everybody's desperate. Mm. Oh, I mean, you, I've made my first holiday booking now for 2021, so hopefully that I goes I was going to say, you've already taken the plunge, haven't you? I'm uh, yeah. holding on for grim death to my airline credit right now and hoping that we can get it in before the end of the year because um, mm. much as I love where I live, I'm sick of the sight of it right now and can't wait to get away. <laughs> mm. Swap Sainsbury's for Haver. <laughs> <laughs> but will I be travelling with a health passport, Tom? Can well, you tell I don't me about know. That? <laughs> that's, that's a fascinating question. So I really wanted to touch on what's been occurring around the world with health passports this week. Um, so let's start with Lufthansa. Um, who else would we start with? <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. So on Tuesday, they outlined their plans for a health passport. However, they're sort of going a different approach to many. Um, rather than working with one of the established apps, they're going it alone. So the airline has um, set up what it calls the Lufthansa Group Health Entry Support Centre. Catchy yeah. name. <laughs> I know, um, to verify negative COVID-19 test results before they travel, uh, before passengers travel. So as early as uh, 72 hours before the flight, passengers will be able to submit a negative COVID-19 certificate um, to the airline via an online portal. And the service is going to launch in March on a trial basis, but it's going to be very limited initially. So it's only going to be available on free routes in each in only one direction. So from Germany, you'll be able to use it on flights from Frankfurt to Istanbul. And if you're going to Germany, you'll be able to use it if you're originating in Newark or uh, and going to Frankfurt or Munich. Yeah. So that's pretty limited in terms of a start, but yeah, I mean I it's better it than nothing. To be a, a try it and see thing. Yeah, um, but next, next, let's take a flight over to Rwanda. So last week, Rwanda revealed that it's going to be the first airline in Africa to begin using IATA's in-house travel pass app. Mm -hmm. uh, so according to the airline, it's initially going to be trialing the use of this app for a period of just three weeks, but um, only passengers on one route will be eligible. Again. Uh, keeping it simple to start with, um, they're going to roll out the app for passengers traveling between Kigali in Rwanda and Nairobi in Kenya. And it's um, going to just essentially check passengers' COVID-19 test certificates or vaccine records to ensure that they meet the relevant criteria to travel on their desired flight. And finally, if we look back at our favorite Verifly, um, we see that 
the app has another new user, and yes, it's another One World airline. <laughs> surprise, so following surprise. the yeah, following the lead set by its sister airline, British Airways, Iberia is now trialing Verifly on flights from Madrid to Miami and New York, and. Passengers sort of could consider the Verifly app. It's basically a flowchart telling you if you're permitted for travel, and uh, you put in your data such as uh, test uh, travel declarations and negative test results, and then a team of employees look at it, say yes, this meets what we need, or no, it's not great, um, and then they can either ask for additional information will give you the go-ahead and it's also being used by american airlines and alaska airlines so i know you've been watching health passports quite closely joe what are your thoughts on all of that well i mean i'm all for airlines doing their own thing you know they tend to do that anyway but i think what we need right now is some consistency Mm. and i think you know until we've got all the government's backing a particular app or a particular way of doing things and some yeah. consistency and testing standards and certification proof and things like that, you know, validating that you've had your vaccine. You know, they haven't got a clue how we're going to prove that we've had the vaccine, whether we're going to have a certificate or a piece of paper or a download, yeah. you know, it's just, there's so much um, unilateral stuff going on. It seems a real shame um, that still we haven't learned to work together quite in the way we need to. Well, I don't know. It does seem that uh, Europe might have worked out how to work together because um, the EC chief was talking about a green pass um, yesterday. Okay, yeah, that's like for um, vaccine validity, isn't it, or something? Mm, yeah, something yeah, like that. I mean, that that could be interesting, and I think that sort of thing will spring up around the world. But it needs to be, there needs to be some sort of level of coordination. And yeah. you know, I'm not <laughs> IATA's cheerleader; they are a great organisation. But I do think that their um, travel pass is really good. You know, everything I've heard about it, it's so good. It, there's an ability to link it with the labs, so you can get your test results sent directly to your phone. And Mm. they don't want publicity. They've designed it so that it can be owned by the airlines. So I think Malaysia Airlines is going to be the first airline to fully integrate it with its own app. So it will be native on the Malaysia Airlines app. So Mm. if you're a Malaysia Airlines frequent flyer, you'll go onto the app, you'll book your flight, you'll select your seat, and then it will just naturally take you into the process of verifying your PCR test or your lateral flow test and showing that you've had your vaccine or whatever other requirements are needed by that destination. I think that is key, you know, putting it all in one place and making it really easy for the passenger is going to be the way forward. So, you know, I wished everyone all their success with Verifly and whatever Lufthansa is doing. But I do think the travel pass is really the front runner in terms Mm. of uh, health passports right now. Well, I mean, if you weren't going to spend half a million dollars developing a health passport, what would you spend it on, Joe? Why, uh, an ex-Southwest Airlines Boeing 737, of course, Tom. (laughs) Wonderful segue. (laughs) So, yeah, do you want to buy a plane? And it's not just any plane. plane. (laughs) This is not just any plane. This is a vintage Boeing 737-300, formerly operated for Southwest Airlines. Um, It's registered N630WN, and it flew with Southwest Airlines from June 1996 to August 2017. Since it's then, it's as been... old as I am. Yeah, nearly. <laughs> it's much younger than me, but let's not get into that. <laughs> it's been stored at Victorville ever since then, and actually, it looks to be in pretty good condition. It's still got all its seats, the paintwork looks nice. And how much do you think such an awesome airplane would cost you, Tom? 
I mean, I, I, I did kind of give it away in the segue, yeah. but um, <laughs> let's say so, um, 550 million uh, thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it's for sale for just over half a million dollars. As Tom said, $550,000 is the asking price. And, you know, that sounds a lot in terms of normal people. But you're if you're in mm. that position and you've got that kind of wedge to spend, it's actually less than the cost of some of the top supercars. And, you know, it flies, which your Ferrari doesn't. Well, Does anyway, it no, it would. <laughs> but that's where the catch comes in. It's actually got no engines. And the sale post says, can fly immediately when buyer finds CFM 56 engines for it. <laughs> and sadly, that makes it not quite so much of a bargain. Um, mm. So I did have a quick look into this. And at list price, one CFM 56 will set you back in the region of $10 million. And oh, wow. You need two of them <laughs> to get this mm. 737 flying again. Um, because it's an older airframe, there are probably some secondhand or refurbished models of engines around. Definitely. But, you know, we're still talking several million dollars if you want the bird to fly again. Um, mm. But as we know, Tom, planes aren't just for flying, are they? <laughs> We've seen oh. them turned into restaurants and chopped up for souvenirs. And uh, mm. just this week, there was a Boeing 727 um, trundling down the M5 in the southwest of England to its new mm. home to become an office for a, a company in Bristol. So <laughs> there, are, there are lots of things you can do. Anyway, do check out the site if you want to buy a Boeing 737 for half a million. And uh, if you happen to have more. many millions of dollars and want to buy some engines for it, you could even start your own airline. Let's do it. <laughs> Simple expense. flying air coming next month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's it for today's podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.